Hey guys, welcome to Man on Mission Podcast. The focus is simple yet profound. Man on Mission is really our way of encouraging men of God by way of interviews and teachings to unlock a deeper understanding that God has designed us as fully holistic, integrated human beings who can have kingdom impact through the everyday things of life. This idea of our calling and how it fits into marriage and family life can be a bit enigmatic at times. So we aim to simplify this idea and empower you to live a more impactful and fulfilling life. Enjoy. Man, this is a special episode for me. It is May, which means it is Military Appreciation Month. And I've got one of my closest friends on the show today, an incredible gentleman, leader of an organization doing amazing things for military and first responders. Um, And it's just near and dear to my heart, you know, being an army ranger for five years, doing four combat deployments, the work that they're doing is incredible. So uh, without further ado, let's dive into the show. Hey guys, welcome back to the show. Uh, I've got a really cool episode here for you. This is a really close friend of mine. Uh, We've known each other now for a few years and really been integrated into the same community. Um, This gentleman that's going to talk with us today, uh, his name is Noel Metter and he is the Executive Director of Stronger Families. And this is one of the coolest organizations close to my heart as a military vet. Uh, and really, their mission is to strengthen the family within the military and the first responder communities. And they've done an incredible job uh, at growing this organization, just having massive impact on a huge scale uh, under the leadership of this guy right here. And so I couldn't be more excited to have him join us on today's show. Hey, Noel, welcome to the show. Chris, so good to be with you, man. This is awesome. And so, it's been a long so time good coming. To have you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> been talking about this for a while. Really excited for um, these folks to get to know you, hear a little bit about the story. But before we dive in too much, um, tell them a little bit about the Knoll story and um, really what it was like growing up, um, moving into a relationship with Jesus, what your faith journey was like, kind of the early years with uh, you and your wife, and then kind of how you ended up where you are today. Yeah, for sure. Well, so I grew up in a home where uh, you know, the the context of uh, Christ and, and the church and faith was very much from day one. So I was you know adopted into it, I like to say. Uh, but as you know, I mean, there's an element of it's kind of your parents' faith versus it being your own. And um, the home I grew up in, loving parents, uh, two brothers, a sister. I was kind of the middle child. And I think like the earliest moment of, of kind of really coming to that reality of like, who is Christ, who, you know, ex- accepting Jesus and all that kind of stuff was probably age six. And it was more of the, you know, like um, everyone's doing it in my family. So I should probably do it too and raise <laughs> my hand to that. And, uh, you know, and I joke about that because I, I mean, there was something special about that. It wasn't like just a, hey, OK, I'm going to I'm going to do it because my brothers are. Um, they're getting, you know, brownies afterwards for raising their hands. But uh, I, I think, you know, the experience of, of growing up in that type of uh, home environment, my, my dad was a youth pastor. He was also a teacher. Um, basically, summers, we were like, uh, we, we would basically from 
June until August, we were out doing outdoor um, river rafting, rock climbing, and it was all around experiencing the outdoors with um, the central theme being experiencing God in the, in the midst of that. So, I mean, for a kid, that's a pretty cool environment to get to yeah. know um, this, this relationship um, aspect of it. Um, I wish I could say that I stayed the narrow uh, path uh, all the way through. There was definitely some detours that ended up happening um, both in high school um, but in college, there was a significant event that really brought me face to face with the reality of um, who is Jesus, uh, what is this whole idea of faith, and ultimately walking in a, a much more conversational intimacy uh, with him. And that was uh, my junior year. I was diagnosed with a, a metastatic lesion, a uh, cancerous tumor in my back. I uh, ended up pulling out of school and going home, and for about eight weeks, Spent most of my time seeing cancer doctors, um, getting x-rays, MRIs, all this kind of stuff. And it was pretty bleak picture they they're painting for me at the time. And when you're 21, you know, you're kind of like, this can't be happening to me. I mean, I know people that get cancer, but that's not a reality for me. Um, and, and, and in a sense, I, I hate to say that it takes these moments where it's like the pathway of six months is kind of what the trajectory of my life is going to look like and whether or not I'm going to be here or not. I kind of had to take inventory of where am I at, you know, with, with life, uh, my faith, um, this idea of eternity, all those kind of things. It was kind of pushed right in front of me. And um, it was a pivotal moment where I, I kind of came to, I don't want to say that I was um, uh, brokering a deal with God, <laughs> but <laughs> in a way, I think I was. It was like, God, if you spare, I mean, if, if I can live and and, and continue to have a, a life beyond this cancer, um, man, it's, it's all for you. I'm like all in at this point. And, uh, and I meant it. It was like one of those things where it's like, I'm, I'm, I'm really, I'm all, I'm, I'm yours. And so, I mean, obviously the cancer piece, there's a whole story behind that, but it was miraculous. I ended up going, uh, the diagnosis was pretty bad, but by the time they did the, um, the Mayo Clinic check and all that kind of stuff, they came back and they're like, we don't really have any other way to describe this. And then like, it's a miracle that, you know, the, the tumor, it's not cancerous and you're, you know, basically had a clean slate of health. So, um, yeah, I mean, that, that's kind of, at that time, I would say it sent me in a very different path in terms of my life and what it could have been, um, and or what it would have been versus what it is today. So yeah. Man, that's wild. <laughs> I had forgotten about that story. I love it, though, because it's such a, I don't know, like, even in some times of our, like, bleak, like, desperate, you know, like, pleas that we throw out there, God is still faithful to, like, it, it's it's kind of wild to see that. And um, you, what's crazy is you're one of many stories I've heard like that recently. So it's so cool to kind of have that just kind of compiled in there. Uh, so what was that like? I mean, you, you were faced with that reality. You, um, kind of had this moment. And and so moving forward from there, getting that message of you're healed, like where did you, where'd you go from there? What, What was next? Yeah. I mean, it really, um, so I ended up finishing school and I think at that time, um, the path before me was either go down the medical route, you know, be a, um, physician assistant kind of a deal, um, or go more the teaching route. And, uh, ended up going that direction. 
uh, ended up um, getting a master's in education and not to bore you with all that kind of stuff, but it essentially led me towards a place of ministry where I um, joined a church and before I knew it, I was um, preaching on Sundays and leading the college ministry and, you know, the kids ministry and all those kind of things during that time. Um, which when in hindsight, looking back, I, I, you know, before I came to that reality of being faced with kind of this life and death thing, I probably would not have picked that path just because it's like, <laughs> that's a vow of poverty and you know, there's uh, very oh. little status in it and all that kind of stuff. But man, I, 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 I found that that was like a sweet spot for me. I was just, I knew that's what I was supposed to be doing. And the, the irony of it, Chris, and this kind of helps move us into what I'm doing today is during that time, I'm a single guy. Uh, leading this college ministry, you know, teaching. And um, the pastor, for some reason, thought, you know what, you're really qualified to help these marriages in our church. They're like, they're hurting. And um, we just think that you're like the right guy. And so I got tapped on the shoulder to start working with these marriages as a single guy within the church, (laughs) Um, which, you know, I mean, in some ways it was uh, probably one of the coolest experiences I had a chance to, to step into, just because I saw for the first time, just the reality of how messy marriage is, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, like the b- best way I can describe it is um, a lot of these couples that we were, I was spending time with, they were faithfully married, but they were miserably, uh, or they were miserably married, but faithfully enduring in their relationship. Um, and, uh, you know, Monday through Saturday told a very different story than what Sunday was showing um, in terms of their relationship. And as I sat there talking to them and trying to help them process through this and ill-equipped, like by all means, ill-equipped. I was like, I remember one couple I just said, man, it sounds like you should just probably, uh, I don't know, man. I, I think you probably should just end this thing. I, this is, this is that bad. Right? That was my advice to him. Really, really sound advice. Um, but I remember sitting there thinking, man, I hope I never find myself in this situation. Cause this is just, um, really, really, I mean, here, here you, you fall in love and then this is what you get on the, on the other end of it. So, um, Anyway, I met my wife there, and we ended up getting married. Um, unfortunately, the, the church, as, as, as much as I loved it as a single guy, it was not a good environment for me as a married guy. And the reason being is that um, basically I was working like 80, 80 hours a week wearing many, many different hats. We get married, and um, let's just say that the, the wheels started to come off the bus in terms of Nolan and Carissa very, very quickly. Um, you know, we had our own challenges, I think, just from personality. We're very different. But ultimately, that put a massive divide in our relationship, which um, two years in, it, it almost took us out in terms of our own our own relationship. Man. Yeah. So, uh, and there's a whole story on that, too. I, mean, I don't know how, how deep we want to go on this. But, uh, well, yeah. let's, let's pause there for a sec. I mean, because okay. I'm sure there's a ton of guys listening uh, that – are in a are in a work situation and they might feel kind of trapped. Um, they might feel like, hey, I'm I have to provide for my family financially. This is really the opportunity that I have right now. This is my job. I want to be faithful, but they're in that same tension. Maybe they're working 80 hours a week. Maybe they're traveling a lot like I do, and they just haven't found kind of a way to integrate their lives in, in, in a healthy manner. Like, talk to. Talk to some guys today about maybe the process you went through to determine in your mind, hey, we need to make a change. Not we need to figure out how to make this work, but 
priority number one is figuring out Carissa and I. Yeah. And uh, and we need to change jobs. Yeah. Talk about that a little bit. For sure. Yeah. Well, I think this is rooted in what I would say a performance oriented culture. Right. And so much of my DNA growing up, um, sports was a big theme in my life. Uh, very competitive. And uh, much of the validation I received growing up was connected to my performance in terms of sports and the outcomes um, that I was producing on the field, off the field, all those kind of things. And that kind of bled right into this missional calling of being a pastor, right? It was all of a sudden, it wasn't in the context of winning a sport, but it was in the context of uh, winning people for Jesus, right? And as much as it could be cloaked as like, this is phenomenal, and man, isn't Noel just I mean, he is so on point, kingdom minded and all that kind of stuff. There was a very different story that was happening back at home um, that many people weren't aware of. And I think the reality of many men today, in my experience, has been we are so conditioned to find validation from what we do rather than finding it in our own relationship. And that was a huge piece, I think, for Chris and I to come to terms with is the reality of that. Um, and, I, and unfortunately, it took pain, right? The pain was the catalyst for us to actually have to stop and say, okay, this isn't working. And we're going to lose all of this if we don't find um, mm. a pathway and really healing for our lives, um, a, a part of this messy place of church, which is, it's, it's, it's weird, right? Because I mean, in, in some sense, people, they give, their, they give everything for the kingdom and then they lose it with what really matters. And I think that was what was in front of us um, in that moment was uh, you can gain the whole world, but lose your soul. And when I say soul, I mean like the soul of your family. That's really what was on the, on the line for us. And um, so how did that course correction happen? Well, part of it was counseling. Like we realized that we, we're not gonna be able to get, we're not gonna be able to do this on our own. Um, we needed to reach out and find other people to help us in this uh, yeah. process through the pain. Um, and, and we didn't have any big ticket items. It wasn't like there was affairs happening or those things behind the scenes. It was just, it was a combination of when you're not present and you're not uh, available for your spouse, you begin to grow apart. And, and, and Chris, Chris, if you know her, um, she's amazing. She, she saw the handwriting on the wall and she's like, I don't, this is not what I signed up for. And we've got to, we got to figure a different path. So, um, yeah. I'll pause there, but I, I think a lot of this has to do with the, the culture of performance orientation for men, particularly. Mm -hmm. We are all in on our job, but how are we doing in terms of showing up for uh, our wife? Yeah, that's so good. And, and I think there's just a message for guys to to hear, too, that like providing for your family, too, is is not just financial means. And I think, like you said, I grew up in that same performance-oriented validation. So like for me, I, I am inclined towards the same behavior, which is like, oh, well, I need to provide for my family. So I rationalize like the destructive nature of what I'm doing at times in the name of providing for them. But I'm, oh. I'm missing like 80% of the providing, which is like the spiritual leadership, like loving my wife, like Christ loved the church and, yeah. you know, raising my boys. And like, so I, I think, I mean, that's a message for me as much as anybody listening. It's just, uh, there, there's so many facets to, um, you know, our role as men. So, so how does that, uh, well, let me, how, let me yeah, let me just say one more thing to that, because I think What's important is that so often when we hear this message, 
I know for me, um, there's a lot of guilt that came with that, right? Like, um, you're not doing this, you should be doing more of this. Right. And I, and I just want to really clearly just say that that's from the enemy. Like that's not, yeah. that's not something that, uh, the Lord would want us to, to, to camp out on Now, Now, is that a conviction behind it? Absolutely. Like I needed to make the change, like conviction of there is a better route, but I think so, a lot of times we can get stuck in a place of shame where I am the bad dad or I'm the bad husband. Um, when, when the tension's real, like, I mean, the tension between providing and financially providing for your family and yet being emotionally connected and available and all that, that tension, I mean, I wish I could say that I solved it way many, many years ago. That tension's still a reality today, Chris. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's not something that, you know, you just, okay, we're good. And we just keep moving on. Right. Um, so, so if you're, if you're in that place as a guy, I just want to encourage you, man, don't, don't let, don't let shame and guilt um, begin to come in on you, but let the conviction begin to shape a different path for you. And that might mean, like for me, I knew I had to get out of that church. Like I was released. There was a moment where both Chris and I were like, we're released from this ministry and we have no um, sense of like, oh, we need to stick around or be loyal or any of that kind of stuff. Man, that's good. Yeah, I agree with that 100%. So um, clearly... There's a there's a whole backstory to uh, this topic of like reconciling marriages and, and yeah. all of that, and so uh, and now you do that yeah. today for a living. So, yeah. so what happened between leaving uh, the church and finding your place here at Stronger Families, and and kind of what was the the motive or the inspiration that you had to dive into this job? Yeah, for sure. Uh, well, I, I definitely think it came from a passion of our own story, like our own brokenness. I mean, the fact that we were so close to being taken out um, and and then seeing the casualty of that in the church. I mean, it's just epidemic um, yeah. and it's, it's a tragedy because I think if there's a place for for um, couples to be rock solid, it's in that environment. But it's just not. And I think one of the things that we started to realize is that there's a huge disconnect now, I'll just speak to the church to start with. Um, the idea that, hey, if you pray more and you read your Bible more, your marriage is going to be healed. Like that, as much as I wish I could just, and there and, and there's value in prayer and Bible and all of that stuff. So I'm not, I'm not undermining any of that, but, but there's an element of just the practical reality of like, how do you begin to apply this stuff that, I remember I was sitting with this couple, she literally had memorized the entire book of Romans and yet their marriage was falling apart. Like, so the, the scriptures were here. But living out of it was so far from their reality. And, and I think that's something that Chris and I started realizing pretty quickly. I mean, I was teaching every Sunday morning. So the knowledge up here, I had it all. Like I could give you the three points of a great marriage, right? But it hadn't translated to me actually living that out. And so for us, our journey was that we started to realize that there was, a, there was an element of us learning how to practically apply these things to our own lives and begin to live them out. And that's really what birthed us from birth us. I should say that's what kind of birthed us into this, this job that I'm in today at Stronger Families was mm -hmm. um, we left the church and I ended up getting hired for an organization, helping them build out uh, a whole thing in Portland for the inner city uh, couples for um, poverty, uh, Latino. It was this amazing deal where the government was paying us to figure out how to help these um, marriages in the inner city of Portland. And they're like, hey, can you write the program? And this was a couple of years since our, you know, uh, I, I would say where the wheels came off the bus and we had, we had kind of just went all in on, you know, counseling. 
we started going to different seminars, getting certified, um, really realizing that there's so much out there that we could start building around it. And so we wrote our together, we wrote our first program called Lasting Relationships, which is still being used in Portland today with this inner city couples. And uh, it was it was basically taking scriptural content but applying it in a very practical way around communication, resolving conflict. How do you walk in forgiveness? Some of these core things, right? That a yeah. lot of times we know it to be true, but we don't know how to walk it out. And that's really what, what we started developing there and then uh, moved to stronger families. And that's a whole nother story in terms of how that you know unfolded. But yeah. Well, it's interesting. There seems to be this theme of, <clears throat> you know, getting, getting help, in how to actually carry things out that you know in your head, but like getting it into your heart and then actually practically doing that. And this is for the guys listening. Some of you guys know my wife, Justine and I story a little bit, but, uh, we still do, um, marriage counseling and we started it, um, recently within a really healthy marriage. And people were like, well, why do you, why do you want to do that? (laughs) And what's what's broken? (laughs) Yeah. What's broken. It's like, you know, everything's fine and we want it to stay that way. And you were an athlete. I was an athlete. You look at like everywhere in the world, uh, all aspects of life, people, people bring on coaches and support to try to become the best possible version of themselves in whatever that area is, whether that's business or sports, you know, mentorship of all kinds. And yet there's this stigma around marriages. So like, I just want to encourage guys that are out there, uh, first and foremost, like you can get help and you don't have to be broken to get help. Um, but if there's challenges that you're facing, like be okay with asking for help too. Um, cause there's a lot of people that would love to serve you. Yeah. Um, and that's such a good word, man. I could not agree more. And that's, I think the thing that I see, we have somehow in our culture stigmatized counseling as for those who are broken. And the reality is, is that that is true to an element, but I was every counselor I ever have met, they would say, I wish, I wish that people would see it as a preventative rather than a crisis, you know, a crisis intervention. Yeah. Yeah. That's so good. Well, so what are some of the things that you see, um, regarding kind of masculinity? Cause this is like a, this is largely a, um, male audience that's listening yeah. here and, um, you're working with a lot of military. So coming from special operations myself, there's a ton of, uh, I guess what you would consider toxic masculinity that is there. It's just totally like the reverse of biblical, um, you know, leadership, but what are, what are the different pitfalls you're recognizing as you are working with these different groups of people? Um, what kind of encouragement would you give guys on what it looks like to be a godly man, a godly husband, father, et cetera? Yeah. This is, uh, yeah, Chris, it's so interesting. I had a recent conversation with, um, he, he's the, um, basically the chief of chaplains for the army. And so oversees kind of the spiritual health of all the army, uh, chaplains. And, um, we were at dinner and he was talking about just how there is an epidemic right now where the army for the last decade has done a huge investment in, um, leadership training, right? Where you have leadership training and it's, you know, around topics of, uh, for their career advancement and all that kind of stuff. And he said, what's, what's 
tragic is that they've done this huge investment in leadership, but yet at the same time, in the last decade, we've seen um, things come out about sexual abuse from from a military standpoint, leaders that are, you know, there's just been all yeah. this kind of, you know, and he said, so we've hit the leadership bu- bucket, but we've forgotten there's this core underbelly of people, their integrity, right? And like, what does that actually mean? And, um, you know, from a perspective of character and character development, those kind of core things that ultimately has to be the foundation for leadership to rest on. But if this is missing, it's only a matter of time before things start to to come out um, in yeah. terms of uh, issues. And I thought that was, you know, I mean, I, I think we all know that intuitively, but I think that's one of the missing pieces that I see today in masculinity um, is this idea that, you know, we can we can put a lot of effort into leadership, but have we dealt with the the deeper issues as as um, as men? Um, and I think that comes down to: Are we willing to be vulnerable and transparent to walk in that transparency with others? These are hard things, right? They're not easy, but ultimately, that fruit of that is going to be, I think, what is going to prevent you know the burnout of marriages and you know some of these things that we're seeing. Um, that, that can take a, a, a man out, right? At the end of the day, like what's going to take him out? It's not going to necessarily be losing the job. It's going to be, you know, these other bigger issues. Um, they've gone underground, there's secrecy behind it. And, and are we willing to walk in that um, community and, and be vulnerable and transparent? I think those are the big the biggies that I'm seeing today that are hard. Like that's not easy. There's no, yeah. not not easy to get, get through that, especially for guys. We, we tend to like, uh, hey, let's go shoot hoops and just, you know, keep it surface level. Like, hey, bro, what's yep. going on, right? Let's, let's you know, have a barbecue. But are we having those intentional conversations to dig down below the layers and be like, how are you really doing? Like on a heart level, like what's going on right now in your life? Yeah. That's intentionality, right? That's a, that's a different level of um, relationship, friendship, those kind of things. Hey, guys. I wanted to take a minute to share some details with you before we dive back into the rest of the interview. The way this podcasting thing works is that people really only find out that it exists if you share it directly with them through a quick text uh, and also when it gets more ratings and reviews. You might know this, but most of the podcasts that you guys come across when you search different categories uh, are only actually visible because enough people rated and reviewed them. So as we dive back into the interview, if you haven't already, please take a minute to scroll down and give us a quick rating and then text this episode to a friend that you know who would benefit from it. Thanks so much, guys. Back to the interview. So a lot of what it sounds like you're doing too is is trying to structure ways to help some of these guys figure out what it looks like to to start on that journey, right? Of like, hey, like... (laughs) what are those feelings that you've got going on? And let's talk about like what's going on in your head and your heart and your soul. Um, maybe for some of the people listening that are thinking through like, Hey, you know, I recognize that vulnerability is something that, uh, I need to deal with and ha and, and bring more of into my life. But I don't, I don't know how to do that. I'm not wired that way. Yeah. How, how would you encourage people <laughs> to kind of start or yeah. uh, what kind of questions would you have them ask themselves? Well, in the context of marriage, I think it's a little bit different than the context of guys, you know, men uh, meeting with men, right? So you want yeah, me to do that? either, either or. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm, let me talk about the marriage piece. Cause I think that's yeah. a huge one, right? 
Um, so when it comes to vulnerability, I think what has to come with vulnerability is uh, an element of safety and trust, right? And I'm only going to be vulnerable as to the degree that I feel safe. And I also feel like there's a trust that I have. And so for us, what we really try to help couples work through, and this is generally in a group group setting, uh, but it can also be applied to counseling, is um, how do you create safety in your relationship so that you can be vulnerable um, and begin to open up and share some of the things that maybe are not as uh, uh, easy to talk about, right? And so, um, you know, the, there's a framework that we've used that I think at the end of the day, ultimately, it's helping each each spouse understand the power of empathy, right? Because our journey, oftentimes these things that we're talking about that are hard to be vulnerable, they're linked to our past, they're linked to our childhood, they're linked to things that ultimately if we as a as a partner can step into their into our partner's shoes and say, hey, this is hard, like, I can understand, but I'm here for you. Like that empathetic response is incredible in terms of creating safety, but also to open up vulnerability in the relationship. So there's, I just don't think, I don't think enough empathy, honestly, um, and, and, and couples knowing how to yeah. do that with each other to be able to get to a place where they feel safe. And so what do they do? They look other, they look to other places to find that, that outlet, right? And, and that's where it can get destructive um, in terms of them turning to other people. Uh, yeah. So. And, and the way that you guys talk about empathy, um, I would see that in its simplest form as guys not getting caught up in trying to, um, trying to really know what it's like to be their wife, but to try to see it from her perspective, like just to, to, to turn the tables for a moment and just have a different perspective really more than anything. Um, would you say that that's kind of what you, I mean, at the most basic level, I think for us guys, we're so quick to fix it. Like we're problem solvers, right? And especially within yeah. the military community, we're trained. You guys are trained to, in the moment, to react and solve it and move on, right? I mean, that's just the conditions that you're presented with. And so what do they do? They take that right into their relationships. And us, as guys, we're, we're really good at fixing it. My wife, would she, she would definitely, if she was sitting right here, she'd be like, yeah, you, I don't need you to fix me. I just need <laughs> you to be available to me, right? Like I just need you to sit and hear me um, process this pain and not add any you know, try, you know, 10 steps to helping Carissa now, you know what I mean? And so that's been a hard one for me to learn. Cause I, I feel like I add value to her. It's like, Oh, well, honey, well, let's look at it this way. And here's, you know, she's like, <laughs> oh, I just need you to, you to hear my pain, you know? And oh man. When we finally get that, Oh my gosh, that's a game changer for just, and that's a really basic elementary level, but I see so many guys miss that. And I, and, I mean, gosh, I teach the stuff for a living. I still miss it. Right. Oh gosh. I just went into fix it mode. So, yep. Yeah, my uh, uh, our, our counselor he calls it. Um, is this a fix it or a feel it moment? Like, <laughs> and and he actually asks his wife that. He says like, Hey babe, before we move forward, I need to know is this a fix it or a feel it? Do you actually want my help or do we? Do I just need to be a loving ear? And, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's so true, and I and I fail at that uh, a lot more than I would like to as well. That's the oh <laughs> yeah. Well, on the on the on the level of yeah. uh. For guys, I just think, you know, um, in terms of community, yeah, in terms of community, like, do you have that one guy or two guys that know you so well in your life that they could literally put you in jail right now because they have that much on you? Right. Like, I mean, and that's extreme, obviously, but I'm just saying, like, are we are we at the level of 
uh, vulnerability that we have a trusted friend that we know that we can come to and share. And it's not going to, it's not going to shock them. It's not going to cause them to, you know, go off the deep end or anything like that, but they're just there for you. And yet you feel safe to be able to share that. That's, that's not something that happens in a, you know, a small group setting where it's like, Hey, let's do life together. And all of a sudden I, it takes time to get there. But I, I think the guys that I've seen the healthiest that have like mentors in my life, they absolutely have that in their life. They have figured out how to bring that intentionality to relationship where um, they've got your back, you know, and, and I think that's a rich place to be. If, and if yep. you don't have that, uh, I would say, you know, start, start looking at the church. I mean, that, there's, you know, there's different places to find that. Um, but yeah. I, and I know that this, from your standpoint is implied, uh, but I'll just say it for, <laughs> for everyone listening. Like, uh, that guy that could put you in jail, like he doesn't need to be your best friend, Joe from high school that you did wild <laughs> things with. Like this, yeah. we're talking about, That's good you know, <laughs> a godly man, you know? Yeah. <laughs> totally. Oh man. Yeah. But there, yeah, there is the Joe's of the world that could probably put you in for other reasons, but, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, that's great. Well, so what I love about your story is there's this recognition of kind of the way that God had walked you through a journey, uh, seemed to be the way that he had created you, just kind of unique giftings. Um, like, how do you see um, all of that kind of unfold in terms of the way that you serve the kingdom, you serve the church, you serve, and, and even with what you're doing today, you're yeah. not, you're indirectly um, serving, you're just serving and loving people and showing them Jesus and teaching them how to have a better lifestyle with their, their families. But, um, what does it look like to be a man on mission? Who's not a pastor? Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, the, I I just was recently speaking at something and I was introduced as, um, this is no matter. He's a recovering pastor. So that was pretty interesting. (laughs) I thought that was pretty funny actually, because in a way it is probably true. Uh, I, you know, unfortunately for me, the experience at the church, there was a lot of wounding that happened. Um, and and I, you know, I've, I've walked, I've figured out, not figured out, but I've been able to walk in forgiveness with, you know, past pastor that I worked with and that kind of stuff. But the reality for me was that I think God was moving me on from the church, not to say that you're not going to be a pastor, but you're going to be a different type of pastor. And our heart, Chris and I, we just always have felt like there's the church and then there's outside the four walls of the church and, and what part are we playing in that story? Um, and they both are, they both matter. They're both essential. We have just found the deeper connection to outside the four walls of the church and figuring out like, how do we, um, begin to share the love of Jesus in a way that's very tangible and very practical, but to the person who's never maybe would, would probably never walk in the doors of the church, but yet is in so much pain that they need what Jesus is offering. Right. And so for us, we just have found a real identity to um, share this in the context of the military, first responders. This is an environment where most of the people that come through our stuff, they're not, you won't find them at the chapel on Sunday morning. They're just not going to be there. But yet they're running to these things that we're putting on because they're finding that like, oh my gosh, you're meeting the needs that I have at a very base level. And that just opens up relationship with them to then share more, right? Because under what we're giving them is something so much more powerful. And I think that's the beauty of what Stronger Families is doing today. I mean, um, we're like on 76 installations right now, and we're partnering with chaplains who are using this program to create connection with their soldiers and families with ultimately they can do life with them on the back end of it. And we've gotten stories after stories of like 
man, we used oxygen to get them to the event, but then like now we're talking about, you know, deeper matters of the heart, right? Like what, yeah. where are they at with faith and where are they at with family and some of these things that, you know, it just wouldn't have happened. So pretty excited about that. It's kind of what gets me fueled up every day. It's like, okay, <laughs> so far we've been able to walk through the doors of, you know, uh, you know, this special forces community, Seattle fire, Seattle police. I mean, these places where inherently you're just, you're not going to see those kind of messages show, showing up. Well, it reminds me of, uh, like that old quote, uh, people don't know, or people don't care what you know until they know how much you care. I love, yep. And like, so true. It sounds like you guys are doing that on just such a, a really cool level. Um, oh man, I, I love that. And the kind of impact that you're having is, is so profound because there's, there's such a connection between the, body of marriage and the display of like Christ's relationship to us as the church. And yeah. the more that you do work to restore what, what biblical marriage looks like, it it's only pointing towards a proper view of, of Jesus, even if the gospel is never preached with words, which is an incredible thing. Yeah. I can't remember who it was that said that there's the, uh, the one guy that said, um, you know, uh, preach the gospel every day. And if you have to use words or yep. whatever, totally. So yeah. cool. Yeah, I agree. And I, and I think that's, um, and again, and, and I, I want to just make sure that people that are listening to this in no way are we saying the church isn't relevant. It absolutely is irrelevant. I just think that so often, um, there are certain places we have to go that we ultimately can't take the church in the current context of it right into the, into those arenas. And for us, we've had to figure out a different way to be able to share this, but ultimately connect them back to what really matters. So, um, yeah, it's, it's exciting, man. I think the, the latest thing that we're, that gets me really stoked is, uh, you know, we've been working with marriages for like the last decade. Um, we just, I just got a report that came across. We've been able to serve 27,000 marriages in the military, which is just like, wow. It's unbelievable to think about, you know, the, the impact on that alone. Um, but really what's firing me up these days, Chris, is we're, we're working with parents and teens now. And I can't tell you, like, the watching these 13, 14-year-olds, 15, uh, begin to open up and share um, with their parents. Uh, the thing that I've, I've realized, if I have a couple minutes to share this, it's been profound in the sense of watching these, these teenage boys and teenage girls and what ultimately the cry of their heart is right now is profound to see this. I mean, for, the, for these boys, the message and what they're looking for their parents to be able to share with them is, um, do I have, they're asking the question, do I have what it takes? And they're, and they're ultimately looking to their parents to, to speak that validation to them. It is phenomenal watch that processing as they're sharing with their parents they are saying do i have what it takes and they're looking for their parents to validate that message and for these teenage girls it has been unbelievable to watch as they've been basically what they're asking is do you see me for who i am beyond the exterior like do you see the beauty inside of me and they're looking for that validation specifically from their dads um and it has been uh, for me, to watch this process and connect the dots between ultimately us as parents and what we have in um, really the opportunity for us to be able to speak life into our kids uh, is it's phenomenal. I mean, this this is the, I think the mission that Chris and I are on right now. We've got four kids and they're you know, about to hit that teenage years, 
And uh, this, it's huge to get this right because I think this is fundamentally where things go right or wrong for these teens as they grow up. Yeah, and our family of origin plays such a huge role in how we end up starting out our own marriage usually, yeah. you know. Yeah. And so yeah. from for these young girls to to get validation in the right kinds of ways from their father and from, you know, men to understand what it looks like, young men to understand what it looks like um, from their dad. Um, yeah, that's so cool. Well, lots of stuff moving. You're always on the go. Um, <laughs> like uh, every time I talk to you, there's, there's a lot of cool new developments that are happening and you're always traveling. Yeah. You're, which is incredible. Um, that you're able to do that and to, to serve our military communities that way. Um, I can't thank you personally enough for that. Um, but, uh, I know, I know your wife and your kids, uh, how do you guys slow down when you do have time? What does it look like to take a step back, um, to not burn out, to, to, you know, find rhythms and rest? Yeah. It is a huge one, man. And I, and I, I would say that I'm still in discovery mode on this. Uh, I, I'm not working the 80 hours a week per se, but the, the grind is real. And I think that's just part of my nature. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm always like, let's, let's move to the next, where's the mountain? Let's go tackle it. Right. Uh, so, so let me speak personally where I'm at on it. I think what I've, I've started to realize is that I've got to, there's going to be seasons where it's like full tilt, uh, it just got, we're all in, um, yeah. but being able to pull out and take some time just to really decompress is super important. And Chris and I have learned this in our, in our relationship with the family is, um, we probably on a quarterly basis, we're pulling out and we're spending five to 10 days, um, just getting off the grid with the family, um, really getting a chance to decompress. Like in April, we're going down to San Diego and for 10 days, like we're just, completely turning it off. Um, and, and we, I've just found those are those moments where it's like a recharge to be able to really connect back in. Um, but on a daily rhythm, uh, for me, so this has been just kind of where we're at in our stage of life, but we got a hot tub. And so every evening, Chris and I, we just like jump in the hot tub after the kids are in bed and we'll have a glass of wine. And it's like where we get to connect and just share life together and just like, Hey, how are you doing? Um, so when I'm home, Uh, that's been a huge part of it uh, that's really helped to kind of keep that. It's a rhythm that we've just established. Like, Hey, how do we connect our hearts when we got four kids? We've got our youngest is 16 month old little girl. So we're back in the diaper stage. I mean, it's the chaos is real. Let's just put it that way. And these are these moments where we're like, okay, we're, we're just saying this is our time. um, And we're not letting anything get in the way of it, uh, which has been, it's been huge, man. I I think that if, if we're not finding those kind of rhythms, those things can start to come off, you know, I mean, obviously over time you're going to, you're going to get depleted where these other issues start to, to crop up. So, yeah. 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 Oh, I think, man. so there's the daily part, but then I think the weekly, mm. I, we're not as good on this. I don't know if you guys are, but we, we try to get a date night in where we're out, you know, doing something together um, where there's just the two of us outside of the context of the home. Um, and then probably on a, I don't know, every other month, like Chris and I will just get away for three days, like where we'll just, we'll go and spend time um, just reconnecting as a couple. So those are kind of the rhythms that we've developed that I think have really helped. 
deal with that 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 intensity of work and all that on, on all those other things so yeah yeah i think i think it's really important um we certainly haven't figured it out it's a <laughs> you know yeah i was thinking about this the other day when we were we've been trying to institute sabbath on a regular basis like an actual like full day no phones no work of any sort, you know, not out of a religious sense, but out of like, like, I want to slow my pace down, disconnect from this world that never stops and like try to hear the heart of God for our life and for our family and just connect with Justine and the boys. That's been tough, but we've been doing it and it's been so good. Mm. Um, We need to get away more. (laughs) We need to take a a note out of your book to do some weekends and and stuff. Um, And, you know, Guys out there, it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be perfect on day one. One of my, um, one of my downfalls is like, if I do something, it's all in. Um, and you know, I, I, I try to make all these drastic changes. What I would say, pick one thing to change every week, focus on how you do that, uh, do that well and do it, do it until you do it well before you focus your energy elsewhere. So like, as Noel's talking about, if that's like, hey, hot tub and a glass of wine with your wife every night, like do that till that becomes a regular rhythm and then yeah. move on to something else. Don't do what I normally do, which is like, well, we'll change it all right now. And then <laughs> uh, it all falls apart, right? Because <laughs> you can't, sure. you know, you've got to change your behavior. Yeah. Um, man. Yeah. No, that's well, good. I think sometimes we can feel like we, we do need to make these drastic changes. And what's interesting is that for couples that are really successful, it's not the big grandiose things that we do that make our relationships amazing. It's the little things each day compounded that will change yeah. your marriage. And I think that's true in a lot of environments of our of our life. It's not the big things that we're trying to figure out. It's the little things each day that we keep adjusting, fine tuning. So, Absolutely. That's yeah. so good. Well, how do, uh, how do people keep up with you? Uh, are there any side projects you're doing anything that people can uh can keep track of social media websites yeah. things like that you know i wish i'm not nearly as good on the social media front i need to learn from you chris because you guys are way more active uh i think with everything that we go on i mean we yeah facebook you can follow i post from time to time um we we do have a youtube channel where uh stronger families if you put on there we have i've interviewed a bunch of different people in the space of parenting marriage um, trauma, addiction, like all those things. Uh, there's just a, a wealth of resources. Um, so that's one way we keep posting things. Um, but yeah, at strongerfamilies.org, there's a bunch of resources there. Um, and no side projects, man. The, <laughs> I have no more time. <laughs> it's like Stronger Families is the project at this point. So Awesome. Yeah. That's what I like to hear. It's good, man. Well, I will put all of that in the show notes for these guys so that they can uh, keep up with what you're doing and yeah. uh, keep track of Stronger Families. Noel, thanks for taking a few minutes. We really appreciate you speaking into our lives and sharing your story and being vulnerable with us so that we can kind of learn better how to do that ourselves. Chris, I, it's been amazing. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate what you're doing. It's so needed. 